Good morning. You can find your way back to your seat this morning. We're going to get started and with our talk this morning um, about Colossians chapter 2, uh, being made alive. What does it mean for Christ to do this new work in us? And it's a really cool work that God wants to do in us. Um, this morning, before we get started, I'm kind of excited today because uh, we're doing something a little different today. So um, this morning, I'm going to teach the first points this morning and then Sean Bolton, who, everybody say hi to Sean Bolton. Some of you guys know him. Thank you, fantastic. So, so it's not to be confusing as to Sean is preaching. I just thought I'd find somebody else the same name, so it would just be easy for you guys. And so, uh, no, Sean, so Sean actually leads our Element High School ministry, and uh, if you don't know it, he actually graduated from Lancaster Bible College and is pursuing becoming a pastor, and so he's actually in the accreditation process with our denomination, and uh, he is a great guy, and I am really looking forward to apprenticing him this summer and through the fall and helping him be on that speaking rotation, um, not to steal him totally from students because they need him too, but you guys are going to get to hear from him, and I'm encouraged by that today because one of the greatest things that we have as part of following Jesus, one of the greatest things we steward, is to turn around and steward other people's potential and to let them be released into God's kingdom for him to use them. And so today, I hope you'll celebrate that with Sean as he begins that journey too here this morning. Um, So uh, this morning, we are talking about Colossians chapter 2, and in Colossians chapter 2 is this notion of being kind of bossed around, like something inside of you and what it means to like not have freedom from that. And so how many of you have ever had, you would say in your life, a bad boss? Anybody? Okay, if they're in the room, just you can, like, yeah, I know some of you might have your bosses in the room or something, you're like, mm. So, how many of you have had a good boss, right? So, you have, that's good. Hey, some of you guys actually have something to compare to. That is fantastic. Maybe the bad boss actually just made the good boss look good, right? I mean, so bad that he made the other person look good. But you know what it's like then to have a bad boss, to show up to, like, get enough for work, and you're like, oh, man, what am I going to have to face today? And, and that thing that that boss, and sometimes bad bosses, like, they can make you very high performers, right? Like, maybe they instill fear into you. Maybe they have their own motivation technique, but they can make you a very high performer, and there can be some things that are good out of it, but it's like, it's so extreme that you're like, man, this just isn't good. You know what I'm talking about? And I bet that some of you know what that's like to have a boss like that, on your inside. This place inside of you, something inside of you that drives you, something inside of you that's so strong, maybe it's like a strength and it's excellent, but it so drives you that it takes you around places that you're like, it harms other relationships in your life. It causes you harm in your life. And you know it, but sometimes like you don't even see it coming. It just happens. And this is what Paul is talking about today. In fact, Paul knows about this because Paul was an extremely driven person himself. He was so driven that he was willing to murder, he was willing to slander, he was willing to do all sorts of things before he met Jesus because he was driven by this strength. So today, um, as we start talking about that, I want you to think about and be starting to think about even today, like what is that? that bad habit, that thing in your life that just, man, it it comes from kind of a strength, but it's a habit that's killing something in your family. Or that that attitude, that thing that like just crops up as you're really excelling, really doing a great job, that just, it's keeping you back at work because it just, it always turns bad all the time. You're like, man, I wish it wouldn't do that. What is it in your life that 
if you had freedom from it, if it no longer bossed you around, if it no longer had those tentacles of control in your life or it were, was so overdone in your life, that you would feel free, that others would benefit from your life. What is that thing? Well, when Paul talks about it, Paul talks about it and just talks about some hope in all of this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, when he says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So in other words, I want you to understand that when you meet Jesus, you're not just meeting another good person, another good teacher. You're actually meeting God himself in all the fullness of God in a human body. That's what we're actually looking to, and that's who Jesus is, and that's why what he did is significant, not because he's just a good man who has loved us enough and he, he, he died this heroic death. No, not that. This was God himself who wants to do something in your life. And what does he want to do in your life? So also you have been made complete through your union with Christ. You have been made whole. You have been, in other words, when you come to Jesus, and Paul is writing to people who've made a decision to follow Jesus and say, I'm in, I want to follow Jesus. I believe what Jesus did on the cross was for me, and I want him to be my leader and forgiver. And so if you're not there yet, this is the kind of people that he's writing to and he's inviting you into. And so Paul writes to them and says, listen, when you made that decision, you got unity with Christ. You got all the fullness of God. You got unity with that. You became one with that. And in that, you have been made whole. There is healing and wholeness and freedom. And in case you think, I can't get past this thing that keeps coming up in my life. It's just a bad boss inside of me that keeps coming up and I feel like I fail and I try and I fail. In case you are thinking maybe that will never change, your complete union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and every authority. Not just other people, but even the rulers and authorities in your own life that God wants to redeem. God has that process in mind for you. Now Paul stresses this whole thing and Here's what I want to pose this morning. That I think most of us would like God's best for our lives. I think most of us would like, man, I would love to have the freedom and the wholeness and what God offers. I'd I'd like not to be like twisted all the time and have that thing in my life keep coming up and harming other relationships in my life. I wish that I could get past that. You probably already have a sense of what that is and you're going, I wish I could. And I would really like God's best. But here's what I propose to you this morning. Here's my... Here's what I believe is, is holding you back. You have worked for years on the very best version that you think you can be, right? Like, you've been working for years to become the very best version of you, your version. And if you want God's best, even though you know that this best that you've been working on, it isn't always the best. Even though you know that, you've been working on it for years. And if you want God's best, you're going to have to give up your best. What it's going to cost you to get God's best is your best. It's to give up doing it all the way your way and say, God, I want your best and I'm willing to give that up. So now before you like totally tune me out on this one and go, but I don't want to give up my best. I've been working that out for years. I kind of like my best. Before you tune me out on that, I want you to understand that the best that God has for you the version of you that he can see in the potential of everything you could be, your best pales in comparison to it. 
It pales in comparison to it. His best is so much better. So stay tuned in. Let's talk a little bit about the life that God's made possible for you that is free, that is free to enjoy and be, live a fuller life. So vibrant freedom. If you get out your outline this morning, we're going to talk about a vibrant freedom this morning that God offers. And first, how it will cost you your best. That it will cost you your best. So this morning, um, I thought, you know, and I thought, what better topic, if you're going to invite someone to apprentice with you to speak, what better topic than to come up than circumcision, right? I mean, doesn't anyone want to speak, like, the first time they speak, like, about So I, I did take, I did tell him that, Sean, this morning, that he didn't have to talk about the circumcision part so much. I'd be glad to talk about that, but you're going to all have to offer me grace, because things might come out of my mouth that are just, like, you know, awkward or whatever, and that's just part of who I am you know, sorry, that's just what's going to happen. So this morning, let's talk a little about circumcision. Paul brings it up, just want to say, just saying. I'm not bringing this up. Paul brings it up. We're just following along with the chapters. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says this, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Okay, let's stop there for a second. I want you to understand a little bit about the history of circumcision. So Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by this physical procedure, but there was a physical procedure. You all know that there still is a physical procedure. In the United States, we still kind of follow along with that tradition because uh, so many people had based their faith on the, the Christian faith, which is based on Judaism, which this is where circumcision comes from. And in Jesus' day, by the time Jesus came into the world to rescue us, there was actually a tradition of circumcision where babies would be circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, and there was something special about that. And was, you know, so there was things, a whole bunch of things that happened around circumcision. But you need to know that this is not the way circumcision came into the world. This is not how God introduced circumcision. It wasn't just, oh, babies get circumcised. It wasn't just like, oh, that's for health reasons. It wasn't about that at all. In fact, if you go back and rewind the tape, way back, okay, so we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham. So God creates the world, Adam and Eve. There's a lot of history to that. There's the flood, kind of wipes everything, wipes the slate clean. Just the project had gone really bad. And so he said, I I need to start with some people who know me because there's only a few people left that know me. And so he starts again. And now we have Abraham coming into the picture in the story. And Abraham is this guy who doesn't, like, he doesn't really know God, but God is introducing himself to Abraham. Abraham's got a tender heart towards God, and so he's introducing himself to him. Abraham's discovering God, and in that discovery process, you have this guy that's actually a very good businessman, is very successful, has all kinds of slaves, has servants, and has people with him, and he treats people well. People know him in the land. Here's Abraham coming to God, and God says, you need to be circumcised. Now, he's not four years old. He's not eighth day old. He is a grown man, okay? And God says, you need to be circumcised. Oh, and by the way, at one point, they're about to go into battle. They're going to have to fight for something. He says, by the way, everyone who's going to fight needs to be circumcised right before you fight. Now, I don't know about you, the rest of you guys, but I'm thinking that's a bad idea, right? Like circumcision, right? Be- little distracting God, not going to be able to focus here, okay? Like this is what's going on, and this is what God's requiring. And for those of you who um, don't, like, 
you just, you're not moms, or, you know, if you are a mom, you know what that's like as you think about, like, when you take, when they take your baby, right, to, like, they take your son away to be circled, like, that's, it's kind of like, wow, wow, right? And so you need to understand, for those of us who are guys, let me just, I'm going to try not to be crass here, but I'm going to be real, okay? That part of our body is the most vulnerable, where, when, women, when they teach you self-defense, what do they tell you to kick, okay? Right? Like, this is, this is the most sensitive, tender part. Guys are generally pretty, like, rough and tumble, right? Like, that's kind of the, the image, but that's kind of who we are, too. The testosterone thing kind of ruins our brains, and we get, you know, we, we think things. And anyway, so part of that, though, is that most private part of who we are that also is identity as a man of, like, your strength and your virility, and all of those things come from that same, like, it's just, it's, it's a lot of identity. And so when God says... I want you to be circumcised. Do you understand what he's really saying to Abraham? Do you understand what he's really getting at here? This is not about, I just want to see if you're in. This is, I want to see if you're vulnerable. I want to see if you will take the part of you that is most private and most held back and most protected. I want to see if you'll trust me. I want to see if you'll be, make this act of solidarity and say, I'm in. Because once a Jewish man was marked this way, I mean, okay, again, I know I'm, I'm edging on the things. No outhouses and indoor plumbing in Abraham's day, okay? So I just want you to get the picture here, okay? So when, when a man is marked this way, other men know this man is marked this way. And so it, is, it becomes something that once it's done, it can't be undone. You understand? It's not like a tattoo even that can be removed. Like once it's done, it can't be undone done. And this is the act of circumcision. This is what God is calling Abraham to. And then let's wind the tape forward now. When Paul says, so this is what's going through. When Paul's writing to the Colossians and he's, he's explaining circumcision, this is what he's going through his head. He says, now, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now, here's the thing about your sinful nature, right? It's pretty personal. I mean, there's some things in your sinful nature that you have come to adore. You love them. I mean, you would call them sinful. You would just call them your best. You would call them the way that you've learned how to cope and get through life, and do it really well, and protect yourself, and be accepted by others, and feel loved, and significant. That's what you would call them. Paul has just a different name for him. He calls this sinful nature, because what it is, is it's less than God's best. And less than God's best is part of our sinful nature. Us doing it our way is part of our sinful nature. And so Paul's saying, listen, there's a spiritual circumcision that I'm inviting you to. It's very private. It's very vulnerable. It's, it's doing something that once it's done, it can't be undone. Like, you just can't remember. You guys remember the movie? Anybody see the movie The Matrix? Anybody Matrix fans in here? Okay, some of you. So those of you who can't appreciate this, I'm sorry, but it's a great scene in The Matrix where basically they're living in this. People are living, but it's like the simulated reality that they don't know is a simulated reality, and the star character comes into this room, and basically he's offered an opportunity to take the red pill or the blue pill, and if you take the blue pill, you'll go back into the matrix in the simulated reality, and you won't ever know that any of this conversation happened. But if you take the red pill, you'll be woken up, 
And once you're woken up, you can't go back. And it's this great spiritual metaphor of what God wants to do in your life to wake you up in a way that will change everything. And Paul goes on to explain this as, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. So in other words, there's this, what baptism does is a symbolic burial of saying, I'm going to be done with my old nature, with my sin nature. I'm going to be done with all of those ways. Even if it keeps crawling back up, I am going to die to it. I'm going to willingly die to it when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because of what? Because you trusted in the mighty power of God. Because in Jesus is all the fullness of God. And you trusted in the mighty power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That when he went to the cross, death could not hold him. And when you go to the cross, when you go to this surgery table for this cutting away, it's not just about cutting away. It's about healing and wholeness. And oddly enough, Jesus actually compares circumcision to that very thing. When he heals someone, he uses it as a comparison to circumcision because circumcision is not just about cutting, it's about healing, and it's about change in our life. How many of you would, if there's something was wrong with you, and you knew it, you wouldn't go to the doctor? Anybody in the room like that? You're like, I'm just not going to go to the doctor. I know there's something wrong with me. I'm not going to go. Anybody, like, okay, some of you just are in a minute. I know your spouse is already elbowing you, going, I know that's you, or you're pointing fingers at somebody, like, that's you. You don't go any. How many of you just won't go because you don't want to pay the deductible and you're cheap? Okay, that's, that's me. Yeah. So, so there's, there's this thing, okay? Like, when you know that there's something wrong with you, you only can avoid it for so long, but when you know it's wrong, like, just because the doctor doesn't tell you that it's wrong, like, just because you don't show up, at the doctor's office, does that mean there's nothing wrong with you? No, it just means you're insane because you think that not showing up means there's nothing wrong with you, but there's still something wrong with you. Who of us in our lives, though, have these places in our lives where we're like, I'm just not going to show up with God here. I'm not going to reveal this part to God because I don't want to really know about what he's going to say about it, or I think he's going to be angry with me, or I think that he's going to be like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you, or I'm not going to, like, who of you think that, like, if I don't show up, then it won't be wrong? You know that thing in your life that's still harming others. And I know that it has been there since you were a kid because you've learned to excel at it. You've learned to be good at it. Psychologists call this our coping mechanisms, right? Like, it's a coping mechanism, and it became a strength for you. And you lean into that all the time. And you're afraid if you let go of that, what might happen. And God is inviting you today to say, will you trust me? Will you show up and you trust me with this part of you that's very vulnerable because you feel like it's like the most protective layer of your life? God's saying, will you let me do something new in that place? Now for me, that uh, I've told some of you guys this before, like for me, one of those places in my life was in performance and being like excelling and being good at like sticking with something and getting it done and figuring it out. I didn't always feel like the smartest guy. I felt like a lot of times like everybody else in my family was more talented than me. But I learned early that if I worked really, really hard, I could be good enough to be in. And I was so afraid of not being accepted and loved. I was willing to work hard at anything to be good. So I was never the best athlete. But at my single A school, if I worked really, really hard, I could be a starter. But I had to work really, really. So I learned, like, work, put in the work. 
practice off the field, do whatever it takes. I learned it in school. I learned it when I got my first job. And people, people value this, right? Like if you're a really hard worker and you figure things out, people value it. They like to hire you for this. And so it gets reinforced. Like, hey, that's great. Like we love, we'll just keep extracting that from you and you keep, but I learned this lesson in doing this. It was only ever as good as the last thing I did. And I knew it. And I was deathly afraid. I mean, it bossed me because I was deathly afraid. This fear bossed me of not being accepted that I had to succeed. Because if I didn't, no one would love me. I would never be in. And when I kept doing that over and over and over, do you know who paid the price? Can you guess? My wife, my kids, people I loved people who were friends at work, they paid the price. So I had to succeed. Anything. Just kept going and going. And I have to tell you that since God has set me free from that, since, and it was only when I was willing to drag myself up on the surgery table before God and say, okay, I, re- I recognize what that is. And I'm afraid that if you take it, I will have nothing left. I mean, I will be weak and vulnerable and no one. Like, if, the, if that's gone, what am I? But since God has begun the cutting away process of that, I've experienced more freedom and more joy and more peace than I ever have before in my life. And God wants to do that for you too. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you relate to my story or maybe... Maybe it's something else you're like. Maybe you just find yourself like an extremely charming person, but you find yourself overdoing that charmingness so you can get a pass in other places of your life that you know aren't measuring up. Or maybe you're the perfectionist who like, I am going to get it right, I'm going to line anything up, and I'm going to have all the right answers, but you are hurting people in the process because you would rather have it right than be in right relationship with them. And you know it. You know it harms you. You know what it does in your life. And you've got to get it done. Or maybe you're the person who doesn't even try. You're just like, you know what? I found if I just isolate myself, then like, I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. So now you've overdone isolation. You're, you're not just like alone. You're isolated from people. So I don't know what it is, but I bet you do. I bet you know exactly what it is. And so I want to challenge you to something this morning. Because God wants to give you his best. The problem is this. What you think is your best doesn't even compare to God's best, but God's best is pretty unknown to you. So some of you are holding on to the known rather than having the beautiful thing that God wants to give you because it's unknown. But what's unknown to you is better than you've ever dreamed. God wants to give it to you this morning, but you're going to have to be willing to give it to God. And so here's my challenge this morning. I want you to start this process. We're going to talk about it a little bit more later. But in your program guide, there's a little sheet. And it says, my best brings, God best brings. Okay? And I'm just going to take, I just want to give you a couple minutes right now. And I want you to think about that thing, your best, what it brings. And you know when it gets overdone. You know when you go there too much. When you lean into your strengths so hard that it starts to harm other people around you. And it starts to harm your relationships. It harms you. It harms your relationship with God. You know what that is probably. It's already starting to click for you. You just write it down. 
And if you can't quite get there yet, then maybe you just want to look at the best, the column where it says, my best brings. Start to circle. What is it that that brings when you lean on it so hard that it starts to harm? What is it that that brings in your life that you wish it didn't? That you wish. So I'm going to give you a few minutes just to circle some of those things. And maybe you want to write in what that strength is, but circle some of those things in that my best column that you wish you could get rid of that you're this morning going, God, I want something better. Listen, this morning, wouldn't it benefit you? Wouldn't it benefit the people that you love? Wouldn't it benefit the people at work? If you were willing to give up what that brings and let God do a new work in your life. Let God change you in a new way. Just by saying, God, I'll trust you with that. I'll build on a relationship with all the fullness of God, with Jesus himself so that I can be changed. I'm going to go in for surgery, even though I don't want to, because that's where I'll find healing. So I want to talk to you a little bit about not just what, what has to die in us, what has to be surgically removed in us, but what, has, what happens when that happens and the goodness of it. And so uh, Sean's going to come and talk to us a little bit about the goodness of what happens when we can be made alive in a new way and be changed by him for God's best. <coughs> All right, so it's great to cut all that away, but then what do you replace it with? <laughs> um, our second point is that the, the vibrant freedom God offers you will cost uh, you your, ve- your, your version of best to enjoy God's best. So did you ever think about what God did after he designed you? What was his reaction? I, I kind of think, and this is kind of an over- overwhelming thought, I kind of think that, that God's initial reaction to his design of us was that he probably took a step back and and he smiled, right? 
he, he said, wow, kind of, you know, patted himself on the back a little bit maybe and said, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. I've put these gifts and talents and abilities into this person. And he takes a step back and, and smiles about how this is going to play out. The Bible says that, that we are imago dei, and that means that we're made in God's image or reflection. And, and that, again, it can be a daunting, a daunting thing. When I think about all of God's creation, when I notice this the, mass, the most is when I go to the beach and I look out over the ocean and I see like, how big and vast and amazing and beautiful, in spite of all the shark attacks, <laughs> that part of God's creation can be. We are the only thing that the Bible says was made in God's image, in his reflection. But of course, often it's, it's what we consider our best parts, which is what Pastor Sean was talking about. What we consider our best parts, the uncircumcised strengths that are really bringing out our worst, that keep that reflection hidden. The way that has played out in my life is kind of my desire to control things. Not in like a mean or malicious way, but just I feel most comfortable when I have my, my, my thumb or my finger on the pulse of what's happening. Okay, and the way that ends up playing out is, you know, inevitably I'm going to lose control at some point in time. And probably the way I respond to those isn't the most Christ-like. And it kind of hides that reflection of God that he's trying to portray through me. Um, Sometimes before we experience God's best, we might doubt the good that God has in mind for us. We might feel like God um, might be mad at us or out to get us or just wanting to take the credit for, for our accomplishments. That's something that I've felt before. You know, God, I did this. Why do I need to give glory to you? All of which Jesus proved is not true through his death and resurrection. Hear this. God's not mad at you. Okay? God's not mad at you. And what you lose to become part of God's family, I can guarantee once you do that, you're not going to miss those things. The freedom to, to enjoy God's best, that's what Paul who was tired of missing out on God's best, was wanting the Colossians to understand uh, in this verse. And we're going to continue on with uh, the Colossians verse, starting in uh, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God, underline this next part, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Through that entire verse, there's there's a recurring theme that I hope you picked up on it, and that is that there's new life awaiting you. You can experience what it means to be alive and free in Jesus Christ. If you thought God was holding anything against you for your past, get this, all charges have been dropped, okay? All charges have been dropped. You're free to enjoy God's best through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you crawl up on that operating table that that Sean was talking about and volunteer to allow the worst parts of you to be cut away, God comes through, and because of Jesus and what he did on that cross, 
You can have all the potential to experience freedom from your worst, healing from your deepest hurts, and redemption of your most stubborn habits. So there's some good stuff that happens when we make that decision. You know, we've all had our struggles, right? We've all had the sins that we've dealt with. We've all had those uncircumcised strengths that we're trying to, you know, get rid of on that operating table. And the good news is, like, some of that stuff goes away right away. You know, when you say, okay, Christ, I'm, I'm giving it to you, some of those things go away right away. We don't have to struggle with them anymore. They don't even become temptations anymore. But then other stuff, it's kind of a constant struggle, right? We continue in that, but the good news is Jesus is going to be there for us in all of that. I was talking to um, a guy I went to high school with the other night, and he's kind of in a little bit of a rough patch right now dealing with some of this stuff and his perception of how he sees God in the world. And, and he was telling me, like, the analogy that he thinks of how God interacts with his creation right now is that it's kind of like the mother bird that kicks their, their baby out of the nest. And we know what happens if the baby can't fly, right? But I told him, I said, I said well, I, I get that analogy. I understand where you're coming from. But I can tell you that if Jesus is that mother bird, he's not going to let us hit the ground, right? He's going to be there through those things. And, you know, Again, this control is one of these things that has played itself out in my life and something that I continue to go, have to go, keep going back to God for healing and, and just help with. And I know I'm going to struggle with it. I know I'm going to fall and mess up from time to time, but God's always going to swoop in and help me. He's going to walk through that process with me. So the, the, the point is that the vibrant freedom, which was impossible before surrendering, surrendering your life to Jesus, is now possible. Um, Verse 19, from what we just read, it says, For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. There's there's like a two-part process by which freedom and healing happen, and that's outlined in in this small sentence that Paul penned. And the first part of that process is our connection to Christ. Nurturing our relationship with the living Christ is vital to becoming free. We know what the, you know, the spiritual disciplines are, you know, reading your Bible, meditating on Scripture, uh, spending time in prayer. Um, all those things are crucial to nurturing your relationship with God. And, and I can remember as a, you know, a, a young Christian not really getting that, not really understanding what the importance of those things. I knew I was supposed to do them because people told me I was supposed to. You know, I can remember opening my, my Bible and kind of reading it like a textbook. Like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Cool. All right, I get it but not really having it impact my life. And it wasn't until I had some people speaking into me that it's like, no, Sean, it's not a text, me- uh, uh, a text message. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not a textbook. It is, in fact, God's letter to you on how, how to live. And he wants, to be drawn cl- or he wants you to draw closer to him through the reading of his word and, and spending time with him. So it's, it's a very crucial thing to, to nurture your relationship with Jesus. And the second part of that process by which freedom and healing happens is, is through our connection with each other. It's Christ that holds together and gives life to the, to the body, which is Paul's way of talking to all the people who have made a commitment to be part of God's family, us as Christians, right? And, and what Paul is saying here is that the way Jesus nourishes our freedom is through the joints and ligaments, right? And the joints and ligaments are us. Um, these joints and ligaments are you and me, and our connection to each other comes by bringing the life of Christ, the very best of what God has for us, to each other. What makes us alive and free is our connection to Christ and to each other in Christ. I can think back on my, looking back over my life, 
Um, I can think of the people that have spoken into me and had relationships with me, and I've been able to speak into them. And just beautiful relationships that I've had where Jesus has been present and Jesus has spoken through me. And I've been fortunate enough that he's spoken through other people to me. So part of it is being willing to, to, to allow God to speak through you to other people, but also being in a place of humility where you can receive it from somebody else. And that can be a very, very hard thing. Um, in my, in my, my perspective, it takes a little bit of losing some of that control that I crave so much to be humble enough to receive those things uh, from other people. We need both things. You can't have one and not the other and expect to have that vibrant life that God's asking or, or calling us to. We must be filled up with Jesus. Then we must fill others with Jesus. You need to feel loved by Jesus, and then you need to test out how loving you are by loving others. And people will see that reflection of Christ in you. In all of this, and all that sounds awesome, right? Nobody's heard, nobody's been like, I don't want to love other people. <laughs> nobody's been there yet, I don't think. But in that, there's, there's kind of an aside in this passage that is a bit of a, a caution that Paul gives when it comes to experiencing God's best. And that caution is don't exchange one set of bondage for another. For the Colossians, people were saying that certain ceremonies, spiritual practices, or ways of living were the centerpiece for the best of what we could hope for in our life. You know, if you do all these things, you're going to be happy and everything's going to be great. And belief like that, beliefs like that aren't specific to just the Colossians, right? Can anybody relate to that? Yes? The, we're tempted with the same kind of stuff today. Um, you know, some of the temptations of today are like enrolling our kids in every activity possible because it's, we think it's going to give them their best. But in doing that, we kind of forsake our, our, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, let alone our kids, right? We do those kinds of things. I think that we have all probably fallen victim to committing to so much stuff that, you know, spending that, that time with God takes a back seat. Um, no, in, in my experience, and I, I, I tend to do this a lot, actually, overcommit, right? We say yes because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We want to be there and help people. We want to serve. We want to do the right thing. So we say yes, 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 yes. But I've learned over my time of, of doing that and wrongfully doing that, that no can be the hardest but sometimes the most freeing word to say in the English language. I'm sorry, I just can't commit to that right now. Because that relationship with Jesus and your relationship with your church family is so important, you can't do everything, right? You have to say no sometimes. Or how about sometimes we're tempted to read the Bible or how-to books about the Bible um, with, with the effort of improving ourselves without ever really experiencing the transforming power of a relationship with God or other people. How many of you have ever picked up the Bible to read it because um, you felt that it was just something you were supposed to do, but because you didn't involve God in that process, it was kind of empty a little bit? You know, you're reading the words on the page, but it's not transforming. It's not impacting you. It's not really doing anything other than giving you some head knowledge. It's not making its way to the heart. God wants to connect with us, and he wants to connect with others, right? So in doing all these things, these spiritual disciplines to connect with God and connect with others, we have to involve him in the process. If we don't involve God in that process, it, it can feel empty, right? You can have those friends, but those relationships aren't going to be nourished by God. You can read your Bible and you can pray, but if God's not truly involved in the process, what are you really, how close are you really getting to God through those actions? And freedom is found in those connections, not in activities, not in rules, not in ceremonies. 
Okay? It's an engagement of God and an engagement of, of, his, of, of his people. New life isn't being in bondage to behaviors. As I was as, you know, looking over this stuff, why would we leave, I was thinking, why would we leave the bad boss of sin just to be a sin or, or those uncircumcised uh, strengths? Why would we leave those bad bosses to be tied down by another bad boss of bondage and behaviors? To leave the comfort zone of the things that we're used to, right? The things that, in my, in my case, control. To leave that stuff where I feel safe. The alternative has to be something better for me to go to it. It has to be better for us. The alternative is about freedom to pursue Christ and his power to change your inner person so that you can be the most free, very best uh, version of who God created you to be. And this message really, really resonates with me. Um, Again, I wanted to share a little bit about myself so you guys could get to know me a little bit, but also I think it corresponds and correlates with this message perfectly. Um, The church that I grew up in is one that was very structured, very rules-driven, and, and, and works-based. Um, I can remember growing up and having to memorize scripted prayers that I didn't really understand or feel like they meant, it, meant anything, following the beliefs and steps of the church that, that, that the church told me were important, um, and really just feeling like I was worshiping and praying to a distant God who was keeping score. Um, my, my entire spiritual life was based on fear of not following enough of the rules and getting in trouble with the angry God who was sitting up in heaven, pointing a finger at me and waiting for me to mess up, basically. That was my relationship with God. That was my interaction with God, my perception of him. In spite of all that, and, and through a series of, of events at the age of 17, I did you know, make the best decision of my life. I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I would eventually leave that church and begin to be on fire for God. I think we can all relate to that, you know, new Christian on fire, want to set the world on fire for God, um, know just enough to be a lot dangerous. <laughs> That's kind of where I was at, but, and it was awesome. It was a great time in my life, but at a certain point, I, I began to feel a bit of a burden, um, a burden that was caused because I felt that even with my new understanding of who God was, I had, I had kind of traded in some of those old rules and things that I was you know, I didn't like about my old church for a new set of rules, okay? I was doing the things that I thought people um, said that I should do. You know, I was, I was reading my Bible, reading so many chapters out of my Bible every day. I was spending so much time in prayer every day, but it was, it was empty. You know, I was doing the things that I thought people would see and perceive me as a good Christian. That's where I was at, and I didn't like it. I felt that burden. And I was exhausting myself by trying to live on my own strengths rather than understanding that this wasn't the best version of me that God wanted for me. God had more, and so I surrendered that legalistic mindset of God, and I started working on my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with other people um, and, and, and how Jesus interacts with us. And in doing so, I've experienced Jesus. I've been free from fear. I've, been, um, I've seen God offer grace to me and others countless times when there's no way I deserved it. Um, and and I, have, I have handed over what I used to consider to be my strengths and exchanged them for the vibrant freedom and life-changing, uh, life change that comes when we allow God to do something new and awesome in us. So um, the uncircumcised stuff, when we get rid of it, I feel like the, something has to replace it. Something has to replace it. Otherwise, we're still empty, and Jesus is going to step in and, and do that replacing for us. Now Pastor Sean's going to lead us in some experiential stuff. You know, when you guys think about God, 
God's not just asking you to improve yourself. God's telling you he will totally renew who you are. God's not just saying you'll get a little bit like marginally better. God's saying, I want to remove that in, t- in its entirety so that you can be healed and transformed. This is the great invitation of God. Have you ever gone up for surgery? Like, have you ever, like, had to get, how many of you have had to get surgery, right? Yeah, okay, so if you've never had to get surgery, there's this experience that you get when you're going in for surgery. They give you this piece of paper, right? You have to sign this piece of paper. And if you read all the details of the piece of paper, what do you think? I do not want to have surgery anymore, right? Don't you? Like, oh, my word, like, all that. Like, you're basically signing the disclaimer of do anything you want in there because I'll be unconscious. That's... That's basically what it says. And you realize as they come in and they gas you, and you're like, okay, I guess this is it, like counting down, right? Like, you are totally without control. Right? You can, they, anything can happen, right? They could drop their bubble gum inside of you during search. You will not know at all, right? You, you have no idea. And it's a little disconcerting, isn't it? That like, all of this is going to be the case. And yet, I bet every one of you who's ever had surgery said, I'll sign the paper because what's on the other side of this is better than now. What needs to happen is so much better. The healing on the other side of this is so much better that it's worth every risk. That's what God's asking of you this morning. Take the risk. Sign the paper. To get, that, to get yourself up on the surgery table and say, God, go ahead. The very most vulnerable, most precious parts of me, I want to let go of them and I need to let you take them again. Now, some of you have been, like Sean said, like crawled off the surgery table, right? In the middle of the surgery, you're like, okay, that kind of hurts. Let's leave that one be for now. We'll operate later. It's time for you to just say, God, I'm willing. Because what you have is so much better. And some of you have been a bit of that, like, you know, you're like the person who's like, well, I'm kind of good at surgery, so why don't I just stay awake for it and I'll operate on my own heart, all right? Or consult you, God, okay? But I'm going to go ahead and operate and you can just give me feedback as I'm doing. Like what, even the best heart surgeon in the world would not operate on themselves. So why are you trying to do it yourself? And some of you... God removed some of that stuff a while ago, and it was like you had this bad appendix, and you said, God, you know what? what? Can you just put that in a jar? Just in case later I decide I want to put it back in. And you've been, you've been having that jar in your mantle now for a while. You know that that strength is there. You know that it's there, and you're like, but I don't want to be rid of it totally, like just in case I need it. You still just want to have it around just in case you need to lean into it. And God's saying today, just throw it out. There's so many good things ahead of you. Just throw it out. So my invitation to you today is to get out that little half sheet of paper. Because today, worship team's going to come and they're going to sing a song. We're going to do a little surgery. You're going to have an opportunity just to look at that piece of paper and it says, on the other side, it says, God's best brings. And I want you to look down to that list and say, what is it that I hope on the other side of this surgery that it will bring? What is it that I'm asking God for? Like, do this work in me. I am desperate for it. And it might be on the list, and it might be something you need to write in. We're going to give you a few minutes to 
Circle that. So write that in, and then I want you to come up. I want you to get a pair of scissors. I want you to come to this table and say, God, I'm tired of holding on to that. And I'm willing to go under the knife. Because I know what you're going to do is not just cut things away. You're going to transform. And you're going to heal. And so I'm not going to lean into that thing anymore. I'm not going to hold on to it because it brought me comfort. I'm going to let go of it this morning. And I'm going to take my best. And I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to let you do what you want to do with it. And I'm going to take your best back with me. And it's going to be my prayer that you'll do that work in me this morning. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes to consider what is that that God wants to do in you. And then I want you to come up here. I don't want you to let God do the surgery as the worship team plays, and then I'll come up and pray and close.